You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. So in case you haven't caught this theme yet, there is this reality, this theme that we are continuing to explore and celebrate together about God making all things new, that every day is a new beginning in Jesus Christ. And so to continue to emphasize this and celebrate this together, we want to show you the videos of those who are getting baptized in the other services so you can be included in those too. So here's some more stories for you. Hi, my name is Vincent. I am 12 years old. For fun, I like to I like to play Minecraft. I am playing basketball right now, but I enjoy soccer and dodgeball a lot more. And um, I like to watch anime. I was about five or six, and my and my aunt was in my room at my grandma's house and I don't know how it came up but she's like do you know what God is or do you believe in something I'm like no and she's like oh then this guy was Jesus and told me about him and read me some stories from the Bible I feel like I'm a lot better of a person um I feel like I can look over to someone when I am in need. Instead, when I was younger, I remember not having someone to look over to when I I had a problem. Jesus is the person I look over to. Well, because Jesus told us to. What I would want other people to know about Jesus is that he sacrificed himself to save us. He sacrificed himself by dying on a cross for us. My name is Isabel Marshall. I am eight years old. I like to play with my friends. Sometimes we play on the trampoline. Sometimes we ride bikes and ride scooters. He's the one that created me and died on the cross for our sins. And he's the one that made this earth. He's God's son. He loves us. Even though we do, things are not right. And he still forgives us, even though we did bad things. Well, I want them to know who Jesus is, and I want them to know Jesus so that they can go to heaven. Well, I want to show people that I believe in Jesus and I believe that he died on the cross for our sins.
everybody's sins. Hi, my name is Melanie, and I've been going to Grace four years. For fun, um, I'm an artist, so I like to paint and draw and do all that stuff a lot. Um, I like to hang out with family and friends, and um, I'm just really willing to do anything. I'm kind of like a little bit adventurous, so I like to like go places and do things. Uh, I came to know Jesus when I was like, before kindergarten, I was like five or four maybe. So it was a really, really long time ago, so I don't quite remember it all. I guess I came up to my parents or my mom and I said like, I just wanted to accept Christ into my heart because I know that he's good and holy and he'll save me. The way that like Jesus helps me is that when like times are kind of like difficult or hard or I'm having like a difficult time in a situation, um, he's all, I, I know that he's always there for me, so I don't really have to worry. Being baptized or baptism means to me showing other people that you like basically believe in him and that you believe that he died for your sins. I've been actually wanting to get baptized for quite a while, but basically I just want to show everybody that I believe that he basically died for our sins and that I believe in him. I wish that those people that don't know him could get to know him and could get to speak out and say that I believe and they would be brave and not just like hold it in. Um, that you should really get to know him because he's a pretty cool person and guy and it's pretty like it's pretty fun to say that you like believe in him and stuff. It's pretty nice. And there you have it. Well, that Jesus is a pretty cool guy. Let's talk about him, huh? Absolutely. So a couple things. The first is, if you have not been baptized and you know and love Jesus Christ, we've got plenty of water up here, and it's still warm. We would love to baptize you in this next service we're going to do. So after the service today, after this service, come talk to me, Jane McKinney, the, the person who brought you our prayer teams, but we would love to get you baptized. And you may be thinking, well, I don't, didn't bring clothes. We have clothes. We have a towel. You have no excuse. Come let us baptize you. Secondly, I'm going to invite our ushers forward to receive our offering for the morning because basically everything you see happening around here is resourced by you giving to this offering. So thank you for your generosity. We recognize that a number of you are guests, your family or friends who have come to see people be baptized this morning, and it's awesome to have you here. Or maybe you're just a guest guest and you've come in and are checking things out. You're under no obligation to give to this. This is for our folks who call Grace home. But if you would like to throw in with us by giving to this, these resources go to introducing people to Jesus and making disciples for him. So join us if you want, but you're under no obligation to do so. But ushers, go ahead and receive that offering now. And as they do so, I just want to reset things a little bit for where we are going to go this morning in this wonderful passage out of Genesis. If you weren't with us last week, 
we went through Genesis chapter 6 through 8. And this is a story that is probably familiar to many of you. This is the historical reality of the flood and the ark and Noah. And um, of course, there are lots of questions that, that come with that. And so we want to invite you after this service, if you want to stick around, upstairs um, in, in our room upstairs here on this end, it's room 208, just wander upstairs here and you'll see it. We're going to have a discussion forum on Genesis hosted by our Gary Brashears and some of our preaching team. And we're going to wrestle with questions like, was the flood really a global flood? Was the entire world flooded or just the region where humanity had spread to? And what kind of flood was it? And how really big was the ark? And could all the animals and Noah's family truly, feasibly fit on the ark? And we're just going to begin to wrestle with some of those questions. We'd love to have you come be a part of that discussion. So please consider coming to that. But as we looked at the reality of the flood this last week, we were reminded that, that God loves this world. Because as we look back to the very beginning of where Genesis takes us, the beginning of creation, the beginning of humanity, we're introduced to the reality that when Adam and Eve sinned, when they disobeyed God, sin and death and brokenness entered the world. And Genesis traces this downward spiral, and it's a a cyclical thing. Things, as we have seen, keep going from bad to worse. And it eventually gets to the point that violence is not just an occasional thing that's happening in culture, And in humanity, it's constant. It's all over the place. You think it's bad now. It was incredibly bad then. And it was so bad that there was no turning back. Despite thousands of years of opportunity for people to choose to worship God as the one true true God, to be in right relationship with him, to stop killing and taking advantage of one another, literally, they refused. And God, because he is a good God, because he loves us and loves this world so much, was left with no other alternative but to wipe things out and to start completely over. At great pain, at great distress, God had to do this. Otherwise, he would not be God. And so he did. But because he cares for us and the world, he had Noah and a representation of animal life get on the ark, preserved them through that, and this is where we pick up the story today. The waters have receded, and now there's dry ground, and Noah and the animals are going to get out of the ark, and this is what is going to happen. So if you have a Bible, please now turn to Genesis chapter 9, and as you do so, I'm going to read it as well. We'll put it up on the screens behind me, and there are a couple things I want you to watch for now. So this is a massive reset of humanity and really of the entire world. So because of what God has done through that, what does this mean now for our relationship with one another, our relationship with the land and the world around us, and our relationship with God? Let's watch for that as we read this. This is all of chapter 9. I know it's a lot of verses, but we get to do the whole thing, so we're going to do it. So soak this in. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful, and increase in number, and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, and on all the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal 
And from each human being, too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And for you, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. And then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you. The birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the water become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Now, one of the questions that we legitimately wrestled with last week was how effective was the flood in wiping out sin, in wiping out brokenness? We're now going to begin to do business with that. Let's see how well that worked. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. And watch for this. This is always going to be Ham's identity in this passage, the father of Canaan. There were three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of its wine, he became drunk, and he laid uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked, and he told his brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders, and then they walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned the other way, so they would not see their father naked. When Noah came awake from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan. The lowest of slaves will he be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem, and may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah lived a total of 950 years, and then he died. Wow, is there a lot for us to work our way through, and we're going to do it. Maybe not all of it, but a lot of it. So here we go. Many of you recognize something in the language, really, of this entire passage, but it's captured especially here in verse 1 and in verse 7. We heard this kind of language before? And the answer is yes. Many of you rightfully recognize this is similar language from Genesis chapter 1. That was the beginning, right? This is a new beginning. But it's that Genesis 1 language all over again. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth. And then we see this. Everything that lives about will now be food for you. A number of scholars believe that up to this point, humanity was largely vegetarian. Go veggies, right? 
but now meat is added to the diet. And because of that, there are some necessary stipulations that God's going to put on that. And here we go. You must not eat meat that has its lifeblood in it. Now, there are some of us who think, well, of course you don't do that. No, duh. Gross. Who eats blood with meat? That's disgusting, right? But there is a higher value here than even sanitation and and dietary stuff. Lifeblood, even more specifically, blood always represents life. It is the representation of life. That's why this is translated lifeblood. And see, there's something that goes with this in practice. When the Jewish people came into the promised land, there were a number of people who lived in the promised land in Canaan, what we now call Palestine, who ate meat with the lifeblood in it. And the reason they did that, and the reason why some cultures in our world still do this, is there is this belief that I will inherit and receive the life of that animal if I eat its blood with the meat. It's a way for me to get more power, more vitality, maybe even more, more life. But what that intuitively gets is that blood represents life. And so now God puts even further stipulations on this and says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made mankind. Now, this verse and these verses around it are used to justify capital punishment. They're used to resist capital punishment. They're used to justify a defensive war or a just war. They're used to justify pacifism. So who is right? And the answer is, not in this sermon. (laughs) That's not the point. That is not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is this. All life is sacred to God. All life, especially human life. That is the point. Now, what does it mean when something is sacred? It means it's special. It means it's irreplaceable. And again, intuitively, you get this. You have things in your life that are sacred to you. I wear one on my finger because I'm married. Because 27 years ago, next month, my high school girlfriend and college girlfriend, they became my wife, hopefully for life. We made a commitment to one another and we sealed it with a wedding ring. Now I have some great stories and you've heard some of them about me losing this wedding ring through the years and, and finding it. But if I were to ever lose this wedding ring, or if someone were to ever come to me and say, how much for the ring? I would say, it's irreplaceable. This is the very ring 27 years ago I married my Jamie with. I don't want a replacement ring. There's nothing like this ring. It's not for sale. It's sacred. It's irreplaceable. It's special. Because in no small part, it is a sign of the commitment that my wife and I made to one another, which now brings us to the next thing in this passage. Over and over and over again, in this passage, we see the word covenant. It's used eight times. What is a covenant? A contract? 
No, it's more than a contract. It is, but it's far more weight than that is, especially in our culture today. Is it a commitment? Yeah, but it's even weightier than a commitment. It's a promise. And in the Bible, there are different kinds of of covenants, to be sure. But there are some commonalities to all of them. With a covenant, it is an agreement. It is a commitment. It is a promise that is always made publicly. It's, It's made with vows. And it's sealed with an exchange of gifts that are intended to be a sign of the commitment that's been made. Do we have a covenant type of relationship in our culture today? And the answer is yes. According to Proverbs 2 and other passages in the Bible, the commitment that Jamie and I made as Jesus followers to one another was a marriage relationship with just me and her, one husband, one, one man, one woman, one wife, for life. That's a covenant. And this is the sign of that covenant, the wedding ring that I wear. This shows I have made a covenant commitment to someone else in my life. Every time you see a rainbow in the sky, it is a sign of the covenant, the promise that God has made to all of us, this entire world, that he will never flood and wipe out the world again. Now, in our culture, the rainbow has been redefined to mean things politically, to mean things culturally. But biblically, this is what the rainbow means and has always meant and will always mean. God keeps his promises. And that is so very important because that's about to be put to the test. Which brings us back to our question. How effectively did the flood deal with sin? What got on the boat with Noah? The animals, his family, food, and sin. And what happens as soon as Noah gets off the boat and humanity begins to reestablish itself? Sin. What happens? Noah gets drunk. Now, Scripture doesn't say it is wrong and broken to drink alcohol. It's okay to drink alcohol as long as you're over 21. It is not okay to get drunk. That is broken. That is sinful. Because when you get drunk, you do a number of things that you wish you would not have done. And that's exactly what Noah does here. He gets so drunk that he passes out and he's naked. Now, we see from the flow of this passage that because of how his son Ham responds to that, Ham, actually, Ham's son, Canaan, gets cursed. And we look at this and go, okay, Noah, okay, are you being a little cranky about this? I mean, really? But let's think about this for a minute, and let's not think too hard about it, but if your father was passed out naked, would you really take a picture of that and post that on social media? Would you Instagram that? Would you put that up on Facebook? Wouldn't most of us, in fairness, look at that and go, dude, seriously? Bro, what are you doing? Really? You're posting that? You're, you're celebrating that? Because what is that about? It's horribly shaming. And there's some things we have to appreciate here, even in this story, and in the reality of what's taking place. This was an honor-shame culture, or at least the roots of it was. And most of us don't have a frame of reference for that because we're certainly not an honor-shame culture in our American culture, but in an honor-shame culture, 
you will do anything possible to avoid shaming yourself, bringing shame on your family, or bringing shame on your village or community. In fact, that's what keeps you up at night is the thought that you could possibly introduce shame into your life or someone else's, that you just do not do that. And this is horribly shaming. It was shameful for Noah to be naked, but it was even more shameful for him to be seen by his son Ham, and that's what Ham does. He goes out and he brags to his brothers about what he's seen. He's mocking his dad. He's devaluing his dad. He is shaming his dad. And so there's this judgment that gets pronounced. And again, this is one of those that makes us scratch our head a little bit. So if Ham's the one who did this, why does his son Canaan get cursed? Because there's some foreshadowing going on here. This is some prophecy. Because Canaan and the peoples who will descend from him are going to be far worse than even Ham was with what he did here. Sinful, broken, and we're going to see that play out. When the Jewish people come into the promised land, they're surrounded by all these broken cultures that not only eat meat with its lifeblood, but they are not nice people. They, they kill their own children to sacrifice false gods. I mean, th- these are horribly broken people. And it all goes back to this. Okay, boy, there's a lot here. So let's begin to step back and look at some bigger picture things. So what happens in this massive reboot of the earth? Well, now there's possibility once again for a right relationship with the world, with us and land. Basically, matter matters. But it's more than that. In the language of this passage that we just saw, who is included in God's covenant promise? It's not just the people. The animals get included. The land gets included. Okay. And if we think more globally about this reality, it begins to even make more sense. If we go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sinned and God rightfully pronounced judgment, he pronounced judgment on Satan, as he should have, and he pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve, but who else gets punished? Actually, who else gets cursed? Satan gets cursed and the land gets cursed. What did the land do wrong? How was the land responsible? It wasn't, but humanity and the world around us are so incredibly connected that they get punished too. Just like in this passage, they get blessed too. Humanity gets blessed and the land gets blessed. So what does this practically mean for us? Well, this is really going to resonate for us, most of us as Northwesterners. We should care about the environment. The world matters to God. It should matter to us. That's just not politically correct. That is biblically correct, which means we avoid the extremes. Should we pollute the land, abuse the land, exploit the land? Absolutely not. We should advocate for it, care for it, steward it, cultivate it, manage it, because that's what we're called to do. Because, again, this reminds us of the reality that the goal is not to escape this world. If you read ahead like you should do in any good book at some point, read ahead to the very last chapter of the Bible 
And the goal is not to escape this world. This goal is to redeem this world. God is going to bring heaven to this earth, and this is where we're going to dwell with him forever, the way this world is always intended to be, after it gets a major makeover to what God always intended it to be, and that's where we're going to live eternity. We don't escape the world. God brings heaven to us. Go read Revelation and check it out for yourselves. And Christianity, as far as I understand, is one of the few worldviews where the goal isn't to escape this world. The goal is to redeem it because this is where we're going to be, only it's going to be way better than it currently is. That's pretty cool. But we also avoid the other extreme with this, and that's we don't worship the environment. We don't. And there is a... There is a portion of environmentalism that does exactly that. In fact, it goes even further and says that humans are parasites. We are in a parasitic relationship with the environment. The world would be a whole lot better if there was less people and there was less of us around. Nothing could be further from biblical truth. We need the land and the land needs us. And that's what this is teaching. Because we need each other. People matter. People matter to God. Everyone is made in the image of God. Rich, poor, young, old, older, oldest, fossilized like I am according to my kids, you know. Um, Tall, small, male, female, regardless of ethnicity, people like us, not like us. You see, we draw these kinds of distinctions. God doesn't. All people are of value to him. Life matters to God, and it should matter to us, which means people matter, which means if we are called into this redeeming relationship with God where we are being redeemed and restored and repaired and renewed and everything around us is being restored and repaired and redeemed and renewed, then that means wherever we find brokenness, wherever we see injustice, wherever there is something we can do something about in the name of Jesus, we do it. By way of example, one of the necessary questions we get asked this time of year, especially by folks who are newer to our church family, is why in the world do you put on a Christmas party for East Gresham Elementary and all the faculty and kids and staff, hundreds of hundreds of people, why do you do that? Why do you pool your resources and sacrifice really in order to do so for Advent conspiracy in order to then give those resources away and why do you do a party like that? Those people don't go to your church. A number of you don't have kids at that school. What's, what's the deal? Well, it's because we love people. Because God first loved us. People matter. And yes, we want to be intentional and strategic and focused with, what, with our resources, but we also want to be free with them as well. And, and that's the balance of the two. Why should it matter to us that there are people in this world who don't have drinking water? Really? When's the last time you and I thought about the water that we drink on a daily basis? Uh, Never. I might actually have my nose out of joint a little bit if it's not bottled water or filtered water, but people around the world who don't have access to water, yeah, millions of people. And today, because of your sacrifice last year with Advent Conspiracy, there are literally hundreds of people, and I would tell you over 10 years, thousands of people who today will get up and have access to water to drink and to do life with because of you. Does that matter? Yeah, because people matter. 
And that's why we do it. People matter. Our relationship with God matters. And some of us might say, well, no duh. Of course the Lord matters. Of course God matters. Yeah. But are you living like it? Am I? Because Jesus himself said in John 14, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And when you and I choose brokenness and sinfulness over what God wants for us, we are basically saying, you don't matter to me. I know far better than you do. So therefore, I'm going to make that choice. And by our actions, we say, yeah, you really don't matter to me because love isn't just an attitude. Love is an action. And these baptisms illustrate this reality. These are folks who at some point in their spiritual journey have decided they don't want to just know about God, they want to know God. And that he matters to them. And that their, their, their sins, their brokenness is forgiven. It's washed away because of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. And this all symbolizes that. And that's why we celebrate that. And we mentioned this in the sermon preview that we did on Facebook this week, that there are some of us, if we're honest, in our heart of hearts, we struggle when it comes right down to it with that idea of a new beginning. There are some of us with areas in our life where, if we're honest, we've given up on things ever changing there. There's sin or brokenness in our heart and lives that just it has our number, and we're done struggling with it. We've just kind of given up. And there might be some of you here in a gathering this size who just aren't completely buying yet that there's a new beginning with Jesus, truly. And I'd like to share this story with you as we prepare to worship the Lord once again together. This is someone who wrote this. A new beginning. What's that mean for you? For me, it has meant a lot of things about my past, but it's just as meaningful for me now. You see, for many years, I mocked the Bible. The idea of a personal loving God, really? All the Bible meant to me was a list of rules. Do this, don't do that. Eh, no thanks. I can figure out life on my own, thank you very much. Until I realized that wasn't working so well for me. No matter what I did, no matter how well I did it, there was still something missing. What I had, what I did, what I accomplished, what other people thought of me, was never quite enough. On the outside, everyone, or at least most people, would have thought I was successful, happy, doing well, and going somewhere with my life. But what they didn't know was the real story going inside of me. I was anxious, insecure, empty, and really, at the end of the day, unhappy. And nothing was doing it for me. I dabbled in drinking, pornography, going from relationship to relationship, looking for something, anything, really, that would fill the empty spot in my life. And by the way, if there was a loving God, could he really be forgiving, merciful, and caring, and willing to give anyone, including me, a new beginning, a fresh start? I don't know what your journey so far has been like, but this is what I do know. Ever since I invited him into my life, no matter what I do, 
what I say or whatever comes back to me from my past, I know I am a new person because of him. Some people don't believe in second chances, a new beginning. I get it. And that's what I used to believe. But like me, he's inviting you to know him, to invite him into your life. Could it really be true there's a new beginning for everyone? That no matter what you've said, what you've done, he will love you, accept you, and call you his own? That through Jesus, there really is a fresh start, a new beginning, a second chance? The answer is absolutely yes. I believe in him, and I believe what he says. Do you? Will you? And that's the question we wrestle with here this morning. Will you trust and obey this God who loves you? Because it's not that we first loved him, it's that he first loved us. And so as our worship team comes, and as we respond to to these realities, to these truths, do you believe who God says you are? If you know him, if you've received him into your life, like these folks have demonstrated for us, do you believe that every day is a new beginning? That your identity is in who he says you are? I sure hope you do, because that's reality for those who know him and love him. Let me pray for us as we worship. Lord, thank you that you are the God who gives us a new identity. Lord, would we not just sing and say these words, but would we really believe them? We are who you say we are. Thank you that your spirit changes us from the inside out, that you give us hope, you give us joy, you give us purpose, you give us a new beginning. Every day is a fresh start in you. Would we never lose sight of that? And would we believe you and take you at your word? In Jesus' name, in your name, amen. So what is that next step for you? For some of you, maybe it's a deeper step in the community. We have essentials right after the service here. We'd love to get to know you, to meet you, and to help you become a part of what's happening here. For some of you, it's getting baptized. And you know what? Water's still warm. Plenty of it. Come talk to us. We'd love to dunk you. We'll go live and make it happen here, okay? Maybe for our, some of our folks who will be podcasting this or listening to it online, the, the step is to receive Jesus. It's one thing to know about him. It is the difference between life and death and joy and hope and peace and purpose to actually know him. Not know about him, but know him. Maybe the next step for you is to remember who you are, what we just sang. Not what other people say about you, not what your brokenness condemns you with, but what God says about you. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every day is a new beginning. Every day is another chance. So what are you going to do with it? Why would you settle for brokenness? Why would you settle for anything less? Why would I then the love of God and that love expressed in our life? Because this world matters. The people around you matter. God matters and you matter. So let's go live that out. Let me pray his blessing over you as we do. Jesus, thank you for this sweet time of community and worship and the celebration of life change and hope. God, thank you that you always keep your promises. And we are most like you when we do the same. So God, as we go from here, 
Would we love others the way you've loved us? Would we remember that the world around us matters and where we see brokenness or injustice or an opportunity to right a wrong, would we not take a pass, but would we enter into that and do that because that honors you and pleases you and glorifies you. And that's what we want to be about. Thank you for every person here. May your blessing rest upon them in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. amen. We'll see you next weekend. Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.